listening to the Derek Asante podcast, the show that brings you insightful conversations about everyday topics. I just aim to keep the discussion above average. My guests are the ones bringing the social proof to the conversation. Let's get into it. And I'm your host, Derek Asante, and today we'll be spending some time with a, a friend of mine, someone I actually consider to be a big brother of mine. Um, I've learned quite a lot from over the years and definitely, without a doubt, is a man of integrity. This brother is a man of the people, but more importantly, he's a man of his word. And that, no matter what era, what time you're from, that always means something. I've asked my brother to join me in a conversation to share his experience and knowledge um, of just the type of man he is, but also in his profession as a realtor. So please help me welcome my brother, Kirk Jackson. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing fantastic. Wow, wow, that is quite the intro. Hey man, it's just the truth. Oh, well, I appreciate it, little bro, and I hope I can live up to that intro. No, I think I think you've you've done that over the years um, in in so many ways that you don't even know. And I think um, this is gonna be give me the opportunity to kind of share some of those uh, milestones with you. But um, it's not about me. Today is gonna be about you because I think you have a lot to share, and I want to make sure that uh, we get that out there uh, because a lot of people don't realize they have people like you in their backyards but they haven't had the opportunity to kind of do that introduction it's like that neighbor that you have but you don't know you say hi and bye to but you never actually had a conversation with right right and i think you're that person for a lot of people and so tonight i want to kind of make sure we do a proper introduction uh, i appreciate that thank you you know so before we jump into it, I want to share a quote, and I want to get your opinion on this quote. So this quote is by um, Kangoma Kidumbo. I think I'm pronouncing the name wrong, but that's the best I can do right now. So the quote, <laughs> <laughs> the quote goes, "Hey, but sometimes you gotta butcher a name just to get the message out, you know." I, I butcher away. <laughs> um, the quote reads, "Now is better than later." Take action. Don't let the situation decide your fate. That is powerful, and it's fitting that you should um, provide that uh, as a part of the show today because that is exactly where I am, who I am, and where I am today. Um, at a latter stage in my life is when I made the decision to do what's best for me and my family, and that decision involved me walking away from a very well-paid job, you know, comes with all the benefits and all the frills and the thrills, a job that I could have put my feet up and my hands behind my head and cruised for the next 20 years very easily. But I wasn't happy with that job. There was no fulfillment. I wasn't utilizing everything that I have. And I wanted something to be passionate about, something that, you know, I knew that would, um, provide joy to myself and also give me the opportunity to provide for my family the way that I envision myself um, having the ability to do. So, um, you know, my late thirties um, is when I decided that it was time to make a change um, and do what's best for me. And, and that's exactly what I did. 
Now, that's interesting. So how, what were some of the challenges? I mean, leaving the profession you were in prior with all the benefits, all the frills and everything else, leaving that, like, were there any, was there any hesitation? Um, were there any fears, concerns about, is this the right move? Even though this is what I want, I feel like this is what I want, but walk us through some of that, those, those moments. Yes, um, absolutely. So, you know, um, at the time when the decision was made, um, you know, there are, I've already had two children. I'm married. I have a mortgage. Uh, we have bills and investments. Um, so there's a lot on the line. It's not just about me and what I want. Um, you know, it's, it's a collective, um, it's a group effort. Um, and so there are, there are so many other factors at play other than just simply, you know, you know, what, what my next step is. So, um, it's something that weighed on my mind for a very long time, you know, but I knew that I had to make a decision and I had to make it quickly because despite what people say, um, you can be too old to go back to school. And I was at that stage where I was running out of time. If I was going to do something different other than what I was doing here and now, it had to happen now because I would eventually run out of time. And so a, I had already started giving thought to what I wanted to potentially do, what the options were. I always loved real estate, you know, from I was in my early 20s. That was something that I was passionate about. And I, I had a feeling that's what I would eventually end up in. My wife always knew that as well. Um, but when I decided that it was time to make that change, uh, she's the first person I spoke with and saw and, 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 and asked, you know, how she felt about that. Um, and once I got her blessing, um, I, that was all I needed. Wow. Now you said something that's very interesting that you can be too old to go back to school. Elaborate. Like, I want to know what you mean by that because I've never heard that before. There's so many different cliches that are out there that people just throw as uh, fillers. You know, they're having a conversation when people say, um, uh, you know, it's just a filler as you try to figure out what you're trying to say. Well, people have fillers as well when they're having conversations. They're trying to pump you up. You know, oh, don't worry, things will be better when something is not going well. Um, you know, if you're having a discussion with someone about your future or things aren't going well or you'd like to make a change, you know, somebody say, oh, you can go back to school. Right. It's one of those things that people like to throw at you to encourage you. And it's not meant to be a negative thing, but it's not also necessarily true as well. You know, when you get to a certain age, there are so many other factors to take into consideration. Again, as I said earlier before, when we talk about, you know, your lifestyle, your mortgage, your kids, your, you know, whatever um, financial commitments that you have, what does school look like? Are you going to be adding more um, financial debt to your family life? Um, are you going to take away um, your body away from the household and now put all the pressure on the other parent um, who also has a full work schedule as well? Um, and as well, the industry that you're going to get into, you know, are you going to break into this industry at 38, 42? competing against people fresh out of college or university. Um, you know, not everyone is going to look at that and think that that's a positive thing and be willing to roll out the red carpet and give you a shot. So you do need to take all those things into consideration um, before you make a decision to just simply go back to school. So 
I knew that I, I had to go, I had to study for what I wanted to do, but going back to school in the traditional sense was not going to be it for me at that stage. Right. Right. That's, that's important. I think, um, thank you for sharing that first of all, but I think it's very important for people listening that you have to kind of take a step back and look at everything from, you know, multiple uh, vantage points because when you don't is when you have regrets, I believe, you know, you, you jump into it because somebody threw out one of those cliches, like you said, and you took the bait, you go back in and you come out with this diploma or a degree or whatever it is. And now you're, you're still not happy or, or you may not even get into the profession that you just spent three, four years, you know, going through. So I think the lesson there is what I want people to remember is that that's actually a valid perspective is that you may not have time depending on which industry you're trying to get into and also depending on your household structure. And that's one thing that I didn't even consider is that being away from the house causes more strain on the relationship with you and your partner if they have to pick up more load. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that was that's that's a pretty key perspective I never thought about. Thank you for that. And you have to make sure that you um, keep your options open in the sense that you know you have to be able to think laterally, and being able to make a change, a career change in your life doesn't necessarily mean it has to be university or college, right? So you have to see what those options are and and, and how you're able to get into that and um, have. Uh, you know, a minimal impact on your family life. Right. Now, what is, but what does a lateral movement look like? As opposed to a vertical one, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get a visual. So a lateral move from where I was? Yeah. So the position that I was in at that point in time there, you know, I was uh, a manager um, of a, of a, of a company location mm-hmm. that I was, you know, and it was a, it's a well-known company. And, um, the only other option, there was no lateral move for me at that point, because I, in, in my current setting, I was as high as I could get. Um, but the next move had to be vertical, which would be on a district level. But the problem with that for me and for, for others was that, you know, for a company that had, um, over 300 stores, you know, which means you have at least 300 managers. There is only five district positions. Right. Right. And most of the individuals in those positions had been in them for 15, 20 years plus. Ah, so the ceiling was already set. Ceilings already set. So, you know, again, most people, you know, once they get to the position that I was in, would just simply say, okay, that's it. We're just going to cruise from here, you know, put another 20 years in and, call it a career. Right. Right. And that wasn't, that wasn't what I wanted to do. So was there, um, was there one moment that you recall that you said, you know what, this is the time for me to make the switch now. (laughs) Absolutely. So, you know, part of the responsibility of this company that I worked for was to be able to, uh, take back cardboard boxes and be able to recycle them um, and repurpose them for for other for other uses. And um, I was in the middle of that doing that one day, and uh, there is this massive container 
um, that was probably about, let's say about 10 feet tall that we stuffed these cardboard containers into in order to be able to ship as many as possible. But what happens is because it's cardboard, it expands, you have to actually find something to compress it to try and get the most out of that container. Well, sometimes what we would do is we would hoist ourselves up and into this container and physically jump up and down to make sure (laughs) (laughs) to make sure to compress uh, the cardboard. And I've done this a million times. I was with this company for three years and I had done this a million times, but for some reason, this one fateful day in mid jump, I said, what am I doing? You know exactly what you're doing. You're jumping on cardboard boxes. I'm jumping. My job is to jump on cardboard boxes. Like, this is the best that I can do. Wow. You know, this is the most that I can offer someone something. This is, a, this is the most riveting work that I can find for myself. This is what I get up out of my bed to go and do, to jump on cardboard boxes. So at that point in time, the salary didn't matter. Right, you, the salary <laughs> didn't matter. I'm sorry, I'm dying of here. <laughs> no worries. It, but you know what? It, it is hilarious. And when I sit back and I think about it, it was hilarious. Right? The, the, the salary doesn't matter. The benefits doesn't matter. None of it matters. In in fact, it was an extremely rare position to get into. And so there 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 is an element of um of of pride for a lot of people who are in that role. And I I was very proud to have uh, to for my time that I served there. But I knew that I could just do so much more. I knew that I had so much more to offer. Um, and I want to be stimulated when I go to work. And this just wasn't happening. Right. Not jumping up and down on cardboard. Right, right. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> wow. So at that moment, you're like, this is it. I need to definitely move. This is not. This, this is it. And yeah. mid-jump, I was literally jumping up and down. And in between a jump, I was like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny as you're telling the story. I'm 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 picturing it, and I'm obviously laughing. But I'm also thinking, what if this footage or this image of me jumping on cardboard boxes made it to my kid's screen one day, and they're like, "Daddy, we're like, what were you doing? How do you explain that? You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those moments that I just process as you were ta- telling the story. I, I I would tell them that that was the moment that I took care of their future. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. That's a great story, though. (laughs) Now, for as long as I've known you, uh, you've always given 100% in everything that you do. So what I'm curious to know is what motivates you to work as hard as you do, um, both in the past and now? That's a very good question. I'm, I'm, I'm motivated by myself and it does sound a bit cliche, but I'll explain to you what I mean. I've always been a very, um, you know, a competitive person. Um, I love playing sports. Um, I played every sport as a kid, you know, you, you name it. I, I well, no winter sports. I, I, I didn't do any hockey or skating. I, to this day, I've never been on a, been on a pair of skates, but, um, basketball, soccer, football, baseball, track, um, you name it. I was, I was always willing to compete. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I got older, I realized that the physical attributes 
we're start we're going to fade as they have already begun to fade right and so the way to stay competitive was always just with myself you know daring myself to do things and actually fulfilling that so you know um about eight ten years ago i started working out and hit the gym i was overweight you know didn't feel so good about things and i just wanted to make a change and when i first got into the gym it was so challenging to go from never being in to finding a way to fight through all the pain and become um um uh, what am I looking for here to be consistent, um, to actually be able to see anything. And what I found was the way to be successful was to just keep providing challenges for yourself to try and reach. And that challenge could be, you know, increase by five pounds or do one more rep or find it in yourself to do one more day, whatever the case may be. But my point being is I adapted that to all aspects of life. And even though I was always trying to climb the ladder in any company that I was in, I always wanted more because I always felt as though I could do so much more, right? I wasn't quite sure what the, what the end game was, right? but I, but I always knew that I wasn't anywhere close to it when it, you know, it, it, in all the other positions that I was in. And so I would always challenge myself to learn a new skill. Um, I, I, I applied for jobs that I had absolutely no business getting. Right just because I felt I was smart enough to learn the job on the fly. And if you took a chance on me, I would then develop new skills that I could take to another job. <laughs> right. Right. No, I, I agree with that. That's that right. Makes sense. And I would keep climbing my way up the ladder um, by simply just willing myself to the top, by learning new things, by trying my stat, trying to, you know, trying uh, to get involved in a new sector, uh, a new area, something I've never done before. And, you know, and I've done that. I mean, if I were to um, tell you all of the different areas I've worked in, it would be mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny. Cause I feel like that's a skill set that, that not too many people have the, the, the ability to will themselves to learn something new um, just because, you know, they, right. they recognize that it's necessary for them to achieve, you know, more for themselves as a person or just improve as a person. Right. So I think that's something that is, is worth noting is that the self-motivating and the drive that we, we, we have within us has to come from somewhere. Right. You know, if you don't have that, it's it's it can be very challenging, you know, and I think that's something that people need to recognize that, you know, people aren't naturally just talented at everything. A lot of us work hell hard at it just to get where we want. And we also understand that if we don't learn something new, we become stagnant. That's right. You know, and so what the earlier you can recognize that, the better off you'll be if you took action. That is right. You can't just recognize it and sit there. But. Now, what is one of your biggest fears, if you have one? Uh, I'm not sure if it's necessarily my biggest fear, mm -hmm. but something that I've, um, I've, I've always wanted to make sure that I'm able to leave something behind for the kids. Mm -hmm. You know, um, my mother you know, did a fantastic job with me. Um, she worked extremely hard providing for myself and my sister um, and ensuring that we never went without. I always had a job. You know, when I was a kid, I had a 
um, a, a paper route. Um, I worked in fast food joints. I mean, I, I used to work when minimum wage was uh, $3.75. Whoa, you know, calm down, Whoa. Calm, down <laughs> calm down, see, now you're showing your age again. Look at this, <laughs> you know, but uh, I, I, you know, I, I had a job in high school, I, you know, I, I, I always worked, um, and I, I didn't have a problem with working, but what that showed me is I didn't, I didn't have a choice, right? My mother wasn't going to get me frivolous things if I needed it she would get it for me. And of course, if I, you know, on occasion, if I really wanted something and I pestered her enough, uh, she might break down and she might get it for me. Um, always did definitely for Christmas and birthdays and things of that nature. But like outside of that, I, re I really had to work her over to get something that was seemed as unnecessary, like a 200 pair of uh, ear pumps. pumps. Mm -hmm. um, so with that, I would like my kids to have an option as they're growing up, whether they want to do something of their own or they can fall back on something that my wife and I myself have created for them to give them options, to give them the ability to make sure that they're always employed. They're always learning. They always have something to do. They'll always be taken care of. And so, you know, I work really hard to try and provide that for them. And um, because I did start my career so late, you know, there's always a little ticking in the back of my head that says, you know, I, I hope you don't fail. I hope you get to what you're trying to get to. Right. I right. hope you're able to build what you're trying to build. Nice. Nice. That's it. You got to have that something. Something's got to inspire you to, I mean, and that's the thing, the beauty of fear or, or, um, the unknown, right? If we don't want to use the label fear, but the unknown, the uncertainty, you can use it to either, you know, cripple you or to propel you. Right. You know, and I think it's best obviously to use it in your, um, you know, in your, in your situation to kind of propel you to get through it and push harder to achieve that. And then once you achieve it though, you know, what's going to happen, right? It's going to be a new one, which That's is right. Which is a beautiful thing, right? Like you set a new one, then there's a new one. And therefore, before you know it, that wasn't so bad. The first original one that you had set, you know? So I think, that's that's awesome that you have something to look forward to because otherwise the drive isn't worth it you know the journey is what makes it but you also need that drive to make it worthy now do you believe everything happens for a reason or do we just find reasons after things happen i believe we find reasons after things happen um when when you get up at the beginning of the day, mm -hmm. you either have a plan or you don't. Okay. And with that, um, you have to ensure that if, if I, if I have a, if I get up and I have a plan, so I say, I'm going to do this at nine o'clock, I'm going to do this at 10, or I'm going to do this at 11. Doesn't necessarily mean a hundred percent that things are going to go exactly as planned. Yeah. Okay. But depending on what happens, Right. I have to react to that. I have to be able to cope with that and be able to, um, you know, um, go left or right and, and accommodate whatever is going on. So I believe that we are reacting to whatever is happening throughout the day. And, you know, uh, my call that I was supposed to have at 10 o'clock, it didn't happen for a reason. It, 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 it didn't it didn't lead me to, um, 
you know, developing a new client as a result of not making this, uh, not being able to make this call at 10 o'clock. Um, the call at 10 o'clock didn't happen. And now I have to react accordingly to that. Right. right. So I, I, I do believe that um, um, it's the latter of the two. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's, <clears throat> I think a lot of people find reasons too. And um, I feel like it's, it's a, what is it? The cause or is it a cause and action or cause and reaction? I'm not sure which, which order it goes in, but it's true. Like sometimes we just do and then we react to it and that becomes our reason or we just find excuses and those become the reasons why we do things or we don't do things. Right. You know, so <clears throat> now this is going to be an interesting question for you. What qualities do you admire about your children and why? Oh, okay. So my, my oldest son, um, is <laughs> extremely intelligent. He, um, is a, he's very big into science, mm -hmm. uh, loves anything science related. He loves to, uh, explore. Um, and he's also very much a, um, a loner like I was. And a lot of people don't know that about me. Um, you know, growing up and even to this day, I'm still the type of person that really enjoys having me time. Mm -hmm. And he enjoys that. So while he is, you know, he loves to be able to tell you, show off his big brain when he gets an opportunity, you know, he'll tell you anything science related that you'd like to know. And I like that scientific mind that he has. But when he's ready, he doesn't want anyone around him. He doesn't want any company. He just simply wants to spend some time by himself and just chill. And I, I, I do believe that, you know, for your mental health, I believe you need to have your little circle uh, of, of protection, just you, your thoughts, yourself, um, your ability to just do whatever you want to do for as long as you want to do and just kind of recharge and refresh yourself before you let other people into your circle. Right. So I really respect that about him because that's, there's a lot of me in that. Um, in my, uh, my youngest son, he's, he's an athlete. And I, I wanted to be an athlete. I thought I was going to be a pro soccer player. I thought I was going to be a pro football player. Um, at one point, I even thought I could be a professional wrestler, you know. So, you know, being uh, someone who was always uh, active in sports um, and very competitive, um, you know, I love to see him competing because um, competition is genuine. And I think it's important um, in, in teaching you life skills. Right. Um, so I love that. <laughs> my daughter is special. Uh, my daughter is a little princess. She's very soft and kind. So a really nice heart. Um, uh, she's very loving. She's very thoughtful, all extremely important qualities. Um, you know, she makes you realize that life really isn't that, that, um, as, that serious, you know, she'll say something that is just so cute or she'll ask you a question that is just so deep for a child it just makes you sit there and go, hmm, you know, yeah. and it just reminds you that life isn't as, as, uh, as, as, uh, you know, challenging as you think it is. Right. Right. Now I have one more before we switch gears here. And, um, what would you say are the two lessons that you've learned from your family pre COVID or after it doesn't matter? From, from my family? Yeah. Like what lessons that I've learned? Yeah, from you, you know, between you, your wife, and your kids. Like, your immediate family. <laughs> oh, man. 
Um, I've, <laughs> I've learned that, um, you know, you can stay indoors for three weeks and not go outside. Um, you know, I've, I've learned that the teachers, uh, do have a very challenging job. Um, and, um, I've learned that, you know, you can find creative ways to, uh, entertain the same person, um, over an extended period of time. Right. So those are all things that, um, this, this has taught us, uh, taught me specifically, uh, you know, in regards to my family. Yeah. But you don't want to be a teacher anytime soon. I don't. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what, what, I, and while I, while I do give the teachers a lot of credit, I also want to say, you know, at the end of the day, you know, this is what the teachers are paid to do. Right. right. So I do respect what they have to do, but I also expect them to do that because that's what they're paid to do. That's right. That's right. That's awesome. <clears throat> but on the flip side, parents, can do more. I mean, if, if things were back to where they were before is, you know, our kids going to school and none of this virtual stuff and, you know, no COVID, I think there was still space for parents to do more or be more hands-on with their, with their kids. And I think this is showing that because now you're recognizing that teachers can't necessarily discipline your kid the way you want to necessarily discipline them or give them those life, um, you know, life changing or impacting moments, you know, those conversations where you really have a heart to heart with your child and you say, you know, the reason why I'm asking you to do it this way as opposed to that way is because of X, Y, and Z and going in depth as to, you know, pointing out all the reasons for them, the pros and cons. A teacher may not have the time for that, you know, right. so I think those are also the rich moments that I'm definitely appreciative of because it's given me more time with them to be able to mold them. Um, the way that I envisioned. Absolutely. You know, having them at home, <clears throat> sorry, having them at home has given you the, given me the opportunity to make sure that, you know, we're trying to instill in them the proper way to conduct themselves throughout the course of the day. Right. So typically speaking, you know, pre COVID they'd get up, do their thing, get ready. Everybody rushes, get out the house and they're gone. Rinse, repeat the next day. Now there's an opportunity for the get up, and we're saying, hey, this is what we want you to do from a schedule standpoint. So teaching them how to follow a schedule, you know, how to be regimented. And we like that because, you know, you do need uh, to be organized. And so and while and throughout the course of the day as well, as they were going through their schooling, you know, being able to oversee them firsthand as opposed to hearing from the teacher what happened, how they're doing and being able to give them live feedback right away. Right. Um, and then being able to then help them as well at the end of the day, knowing what they've been through completely throughout the course of the day. So it's definitely been a very informative um, experience. Um, and, it, you know, as tough as everything has been, there has been some positive to the kids staying home and, and getting an opportunity to, to see, um, you know, their education take fold right. Uh, right in front of you. Yeah, right. Uh, thank you for that. Listen, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You've been listening to the Derek Asante podcast, also known as DAPS. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. And we're chatting with Kirk Jackson. Are you looking for the finishing touch to wash day, a special occasion, or just a play date? Graham Bear has you covered. We offer a wide selection of accessories. You will love our plant-based hair clips and fabric bows, bow ties for daddy and me, and our best-selling turban headbands, which are perfect for your mommy and me looks. 
We're a Canadian-based handmade shop. Our products are made to order with love, care, and attention to details. We offer fast, local, and international shipping. Our accessories are made for making memories in. Visit us at grahambear.ca for all your family accessory needs. Follow us on Instagram at grahambear to see our products in action, know about promos, and contests. Be sure to use promo code DAPS10, that's D-A-P-S-10, for 10% off your next purchase. All right, welcome back, welcome back. We've been talking with Kurt Jackson. Uh, we're getting to know the man. Now we're going to actually switch gears and actually go, you know, get all up in his business and what he does, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, now what I want to do is from a perspective of a potential client, right? Because I think okay. it's it's it's, um, it's important for folks to get this information um, from their vantage point as well as yours. And I'm also curious about it, too, because I get questions and I have no idea how to respond to it. Um, and so I figured this would be a great opportunity for me to get people to, you know, hear from the horse's mouth to say, so to speak. Now, if I met you or you introduce yourself to me for the first time, I want to know if this is good etiquette on my part or if it's not good etiquette, right? So if someone or a potential client says to you, can I see your real estate license? Is that something that anyone ever asked for? No, so no one's ever asked me um, for my license other than um, when you do certain uh, showings, especially in a condominium unit, uh, sometimes they've been instructed. So the security um, or concierge has been um, instructed to see your uh, license prior to allowing you access to the property. Outside of that, I've never had a client or a customer ask to see my license, no. And But if they did, um, I wouldn't be offended by that because you do need to ensure that uh, the individual that you're working with um, is licensed and accredited and is able to do the job because they are, you know, there's, there's fraudulent activities in individuals in every industry. Right, right. And in this industry, there's really a lot of money at play. So you want to make sure that it's the right person that you're associated with. Right. So now <clears throat> I'm trying to get a better grasp on things because I was thinking about this the other day. Um, if I was your potential client or I don't know how you describe me as, but if I was someone who could, you know, bring you business, would I be considered a client or a customer? So the difference between the two is a client is someone who I have an agreement with to provide uh, fiduciary duties to. So okay. um, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be always working in your best interest. Right. Everything that I do is always in your best interest. And we have an agreement in place, a signed agreement that says that um, I represent you and says that you agree that I represent you. And there are other details within that document that, in, that you know, would outline, you know, for duration and so forth. Right. Um, a customer is someone that I am working with, right? Um, but I don't necessarily, they are not my primary um, concern in terms of what is happening with business because I don't necessarily have an agreement in place with them. So case in point, so if you met me and said, hey, Kirk, you know, I'm looking at purchasing a house. Um, do you mind sending me some properties in X location? So I said, absolutely no problem. I shoot you some properties um, and you've got them. And um, you call me up and you say, hey, I got this 
this email. I want to go see this property. Um, you know, are you free? If I happen to have a conflict because my client and I have an appointment, unfortunately, I'm going to have to go with my client. Got it. Got it. Okay. Right. Cause my client and I, we have an obligation, a legal obligation to each other, um, uh, to, to, to work together. Whereas you and I, at this point in time, um, it's pretty much just a handshake agreement. Right. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. So most of the time, would you say then that you are working with clients as opposed to customers? Not always. So, you know, a customer turns into a client once they have decided to sign the buyer agreement. Okay. Representation agreement. Ah. Okay. So that's when the customer becomes a client. Um, you know, however, um, I have worked with customers before who only became clients shortly before we purchased a property. Okay, so that's that's good then. I mean, I can start off as a client and become a uh, as a uh, I can start off as a customer and become a client. Correct. So typically in real estate, that is not something that t- that most realtors prefer to do because before we do the work, we would like to know that if we're going to commit to you, we would like you to commit to us. Right. Right. Because a lot of work that realtors do, if they don't have that commitment from the from the client, could go for naught. Right. Right. However, there are certain situations where a customer is simply not comfortable with tying themselves to any one individual, whether it be fear of um, clashing points of views or not being able to get along, or maybe you don't like the way the person works, who knows, but that individual has their reasons why they may not, why they may be hesitant with signing the buyer um, representation agreement. Right. So, you know, it's my job to weigh the pros and cons of each scenario and figure out what's the best way to proceed. And so if I feel I have a legitimate concern, I can understand this person's concern because there, there's typically a story behind that. Okay. Right. Um, I, and I'm comfortable. I can move forward working with this customer um, until we're able to get to the point where I can turn them into a client. Awesome. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Now, mm-hmm. so for me now, let's say I'm now a client of yours. What do I need to do um, as a client in order for me to be successful? And are you purchasing or are you selling? So I'm trying to purchase. You're trying to purchase. Okay, yeah. so the first thing you have to do is you have to... Uh, go to the bank and find out or be a mortgage specialist and find out what you're approved for. Okay. Right. You know, uh, you know, that, that is, that is, that is the number one thing. You know, you, you can't start, you, we can't start the process of looking for a home until you know what you you can afford and what you can afford is going to dictate where we're going to look for this home. Right. So right. there's a lot of things at play um, that is based simply on, what the bank or your mortgage specialist says. So once you've had an opportunity to do that, then based on that information, we'll assess what that can buy, where it can buy, and where your interest lies. Because the what the bank may offer you may not get you anything locally. 
Wow. So is that something that you're okay with? Are you willing to move out of town? Are you willing to go, you know, east? Are you willing to go Oshawa? Or, you know, are you willing to go um, Hamilton or Guelph or whatever it might be? Or, you know, how far out, London, how far out are you willing to go um, based on what the bank has said? Right. So that's also very important. Once okay. we figure that out, then we create a plan around your schedule, my schedule, to be able to see as many properties as possible. I give you pros and cons. Um, you, you know, what's really amazing about this process is that oftentimes, especially with first-time home buyers, it, you know, it's amazing how their demeanor changes from the first home we see, you know, mm. till, till, till we get to the end of the process. As they become educated um, on houses, the market area, and even just simply some of the uh, unknown facts about the real estate business. Right. Right. Can you give some examples of some of the experiences that you've encountered as far as, you know, the, the new client and they see their first home and the changes, like some of the examples of, of, around those changes that you've experienced? Absolutely. A lot of times when, uh, you know, you, I meet someone for the first time, especially a first time home buyer, you know, you know, there's a lot of times there's unrealistic expectation as to what you can get, either where you can get it or what you can get in the house for the money that you have. Uh, right. You know, they want, uh, you know, a kitchen done to the T finished basement and on and on two car garage. They want a detached <laughs> home, you know, but they might have a $700,000 budget or something of that nature. Right. Um, and, and they, oh, and they want to stay in Mississauga or they want to stay in Brampton or they want to buy in Toronto. Right. Um, and they don't want to fix her upper. So there, you know, there, there are different things at play here, but those are typically, you know, yeah. th those are very, very common um, things in a, in a first time home buyer. And then, you know, once you take the opportunity to see a few properties within their priced range, um, then they, you know, reality starts to set in as to, you know, the options that they have, right. You know, yeah. purchasing out of town, purchasing something that requires work, purchasing new build, right? right. Um, or maybe potentially waiting um, until they're able to put, you know, put down some more money. So, you know, they go from jubilation to sometimes um, deflation. Um, but uh, it's my job to keep them grounded and even um, and pick them back up and get them a place that they're looking for. That's it. Now, you also work with I'm sure you work with renters and sellers as well, right? I do, yes. Now, my question is similar to the, the one I just asked you, but what are some of the things that you notice about sellers? So if I'm a seller, what are some things that I can do to be successful? Just give me maybe three things that I might be able to do to be successful as a seller. Sure, no problem. So one of the things you'd like to do as a seller is, you know, you, you, know, you, you want to get a pre-inspection. Okay, so um, if you can, yeah, you know, go ahead, have someone come in, do an inspection on the home. And so at least you'll know ahead of time whether or not there's any outstanding concerns with the house that's going to potentially cost you money. You know, do I need a new roof? Do I have an issue with my panel? Is there an issue with the foundation? You know, how are the pipes? Um, you know, these are all things that a buyer or potential buyer is going to have their own inspector observe and report which they are then want, going to want to negotiate the price. Now, keep in mind that the issues that we're talking about right now is not for the current market. Right. Right. Okay. 
This is when the market is what we're called, you know, is normalized. Right. In the current market that we're dealing with right now, there is no such thing, no. right? Typically, sellers are not doing home inspections, um, and very rarely are are buyers doing their own inspections as well. Right. Okay. So that's one of the things that they can do. Um, have a professional come in, such as myself, and walk through, do a walkthrough with you. Give you an opportunity to let you know some areas that you can do to help present the home better. Okay. okay. Whether it be decluttering, what can be fixed or what should be fixed, what doesn't need the effort, uh, you know, um, whether paint something, repair something, change something, or even just simply from um, a decorative standpoint, you know, can you paint the store? Can you take, can you change it? Can you add this? Uh, maybe talk about staging if the seller is willing uh, to do staging. The, all the things that you need to do in order to uh, make the home seem more desirable to a prospective uh, buyer. Okay. And then the final, th- final thing that they need to do is make sure that we price the home properly. Okay. So now, but for, in order for this walkthrough to happen, I would have had to sign you on as somebody that I want to represent me. Am I correct or am I off? No, not at all. Um, I'll absolutely, if you just want to know what's going on and you want to have a conversation about your home, um, I will actually come in and, you know, um, it takes less than a half an hour and uh, I will go through your house with you from top to bottom and give you some tips and tricks as to what I think would be, um, you know, some good ideas to get your home ready, uh, to be sold. Um, and there's no obligation or cost associated with that. Oh, wow. Really? Yes. I thought it would be a cost for you guys to even come out, like, you know, the plumbers and the electricians just to come look at a pipe and say, hey, listen, that's $300. (laughs) (laughs) So that's where the good faith comes in. You know, by me being able to come in good faith and provide you with that kind of critical feedback, Mm -hmm. it's hopefully setting um, up the boundaries of our relationship moving forward to show you how I operate, um, you know, and, and my professionalism in trying to get the best uh, deal for your property. Okay. Now, okay. <clears throat> so now let's say I do sign you and I'm like, okay, I think Kirk's a great guy. Uh, I want him to be representing me and I'm trying to buy a property. Now, will I be working with you individually or am I going to be working with a team? So you're working with me individually, but as uh, my company, Royal LePage, um, you know, they have an, an extensive support network uh, from you know, uh, from our reception to our, our, our website, our lead generation, our advertising platforms. And so while I am the only person that you would be physically working with from a support standpoint, you know, it's the entire RLP network. Okay. So I have a whole team in the background supporting you to support me. Absolutely. 100%. Okay. Okay. And another thing that I was kind of digging in my Google searching, trying to figure out what comes with a real estate agent, how does commission work? Like, I'm trying to figure out how does this work because I never understood how, you know, a seller has an agent, a buyer has an agent, and how do you decide who gets paid what? So the commission is actually, or commission percentage is actually negotiated by the selling agent. So the selling agent at the time that he or she is negotiating the sale of the home will also write in the commission percentage. And that commission percentage could be anywhere from from 2% to 6%. 
um, you know, it, it, it does vary and it, and it varies from city to city. And then out of that commission percentage, uh, the listing agent will then decide what the buying agent will get. Wow. So he or she will decide that person's going to get a half a percent, a percent, two percent, two and a half, three percent, whatever it might be. Um, and there's different scenarios for what that percentage would be. Okay. Okay. So the selling agent is the one that kind of sets the the percentage. Yeah. Okay. And what, right. but do they have, um, I mean, if you're the selling agent, how do you determine what percentage to give up? Well, typically speaking in the GTA, it's usually 5% is, is, is what it is. There are some discount brokerages out there, um, or, or should I say discount uh, agents um, that try to get as much business as possible uh, by offering um, a much lower percentage. Um, but like with anything else in life, people get exactly what they pay for. You know, if an if an agent is, you know, let's just say for argument's sake, an agent is willing to sell your house for 1%, you know, think about all of the things that goes into your, your home, whether it be staging, photography, videography, um, you know, ensuring that uh, all the paperwork, everything is done properly. All of the necessary documentation and, and, and setup that is required, if the agent is not making, um, you know, uh, what's going to be considered to be competitive uh, commission, then how much work are they truly going to be doing for the property? Right. 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 And so, you know, what you have is when you have your standard um, commission package for an agent, you know, that agent typically, you know, is going to ensure that your property is getting maximum exposure in all formats because they're being compensated to be able to provide your property with maximum exposure. And that's what you want. That's what's going to get the property sold fastest and for top dollar. Wow. Okay. Uh, you still got shady business in every business. In every field there is, yes. Okay. Now, okay, so I'm going to I'm gonna transition into another segment just to shake things up a little bit. Uh, before I do that, I just want to give a quick shout out. Uh, if you are listening to this episode right now, please, please make sure you log into your IG, social media, and follow Mr. Kirk Jackson. Uh, his IG handle is Kirk uh, underscore Jackson underscore real underscore estate. Right, so Kirk Jackson Real Estate underscore in between all uh, the words. You can also find him on Facebook as well. Uh, better yet, you might also be able to just go straight to his website, which is Kirk Jacks. That's J A X dot com. So Kirk J A X dot com. Right, we'll be right back with the segment Thinking Out Loud. Visit graymilespublishing.com. Visit graymilespublishing.com today if you haven't done so already and support your local authors of poetry and children's books. Grab a copy of my book of poems, Scriptures from the Sidewalk. If you have children or know of anyone with children, don't hesitate to grab a copy of The Best of Grey, which is a children's book today at graymilespublishing.com. Your support is greatly appreciated. Welcome back. Welcome back. You're listening to the Derek Asante podcast show, a.k.a. DAPS. And you're listening to this episode with Kirk Jackson, real estate agent. And he's just giving us a wealth of information. So I hope you guys are tuning in. Stay locked in. Uh, follow us on IG as well uh, for more content, as well as uh, follow Kirk himself on there. 
Um, we're going to move on to the thinking out loud segment. Now, this segment, my friend, is where I ask you the most random, and I mean random question, is far <laughs> left. <laughs> and I'm All just right. having fun with it, and I want to get your thoughts on it. Now, All right. you have to react. I want to get your initial response, right? <laughs> you don't All have... right, let's do it. Here we go. <clears throat> Would you rather always have a full phone battery or a full tank of gas? Full tank of gas. Ooh. Why? I'm always on the go. I live on the road. And... You know, if I can, if I can, if I can, if I can get to people, if I can get to appointments, if I can get to showings, if I can move about, then um, I can facilitate business. Um, if I have a full battery uh, on my phone and I have no vehicle, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not able to be productive. There's nothing that I can do. My job does not require me to stay uh, behind a desk. Ah. That's funny. I didn't expect that response, but <laughs> because now they're they're both very important. Right. If I had to, if I had to choose, you know, I, mm. I need to be able to get on the road. Right, right. Because you got to show places. I, yeah, no, nobody's going to buy a house just by me calling them on the phone and asking them if they want to buy it. <laughs> Kijiji. <laughs> <laughs> I'll text you a picture of it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, nah. So you know, and 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 you have to also keep in mind that um, you know it's 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 a very um, people centric business, and mm -hmm. so you know you you build your relationships and trust yep. with your clients uh, through these showings and these personal interactions, um, and that just can't happen from just uh, making phone calls. You know, so now you, you earlier, I mean, I'm talking earlier in, the, in this conversation, you mentioned you kind of gave your age, but that's also telling with your response here, because I have a feeling so many people would have said the phone. In this day and age. Yeah, right, I agree with that. Right. And, and I'm thinking to myself, I said to, uh, I said to, you know, my wife, when I kind of posed this question to her, I said, what would you pick? And she had to think about it for a second. And I said, now, there's nothing wrong with which way you go, but it's telling of the times that we're in. If right. You, if you went with the phone. Because I said, if you placed me in 93 and you said, oh, this is in 93, I'd be like, the hell with it, because nobody has cell phones. Right. Right? We had Bell, you know, <laughs> pay phones everywhere. Everybody was Superman. Going in and out, just putting in a quarter, you get, you know, as long as you need. And you didn't care about that, but you cared about your gas tank in 93. You know, so... That was that was just telling of the time. So young folks listening, the phone ain't everything. Just get get, get that straight. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't it's important. Everything. It's it's important, but you, you you have to be mobile. Yeah, yeah. Ah, thank you for that. Thank you for that. So <clears throat> we're gonna move on. We're gonna go back to your business. We want to stay in your business for a bit. Um, now I'm gonna give you some scenarios. So let's let's say I'm a I'm somebody who is looking to rent a property. I don't have the money to buy and I don't have the property to sell. I'm actually looking to rent. Can you walk me through the process? So when you're looking to rent a property, you need to have um, certain items in order to be um, 
uh, you know, you know, some someone that a, a landlord is willing to rent to. So first of all, you need to have um, a job letter. All right. They want to know that you're employed. Um, they want to see a copy of your credit reports, the latest credit report. And whether you agree or disagree, uh, a lot of landlords tend to use your credit score as an indication of responsibility. Um, you need to have copies of your pay stubs to prove that you're employed and that you are um, actively being paid by the company. Um, and you need a rental application. It's a legal, uh, legally required document um, that simply states who you are, um, who's going to be living in the property, um, um, and then the details um, any other personal details, your 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 um, your references and past addresses, current job, and things of that nature. So those documentation are required in order to to start looking. Um, in terms of actually looking for a property, I, I always tell uh, my clients that you know you're always looking one month out. Mm-hmm. So if um, March first was the day that you wanted to take possession of the property, then start looking at the beginning of February. And the reason why I say that is because if you it's January and there's a property available to be leased right now, it's not going to be on the market on March 1st. Right. You know, landlords are looking to lease their property immediately because if it's sitting empty, they're not making any money. Um. So their intention is to get that occupied as quickly as possible. So if it's January 2nd, they're looking to get someone in there by the 15th or by the end of the month or February 1st. Right. And if the property is still sitting there on March 1st, then, you know, we need to make sure we take a look at that one, because especially in this market, especially in Peel, uh, that we're, you know, while the rental rates have dropped in other areas like Toronto, the rental rates in Peel have actually gone up. Right. Right. Because of the demand there is for rental properties. So um, if a property is still sitting on the market two months later, you know, it is something that, you know, you need to be a little bit cautious of. It could be a landlord that's super picky. Um, there could be other factors as well um, that I won't get into. But um, but absolutely, um, we, you, you know, you're looking at about a month out. Um, yeah. Okay. Now, you, you were sharing quite a bit with the buying process, so I get that. Uh, and then you also shared a bit on the selling and now we got perspective on renters because I think it's important because you have three different people out there looking for a home, you know. Um, but you also said something that I'm, I'm curious about. I didn't know this. That you use the word uh, leasing. So is that the language instead of rent? Is that the language? It's the same, it's the same thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I prefer the word leasing because it, it, it seems a little less, um, um, uh, it, it, you know, it, it seems more associated with what I want to do with my life, my living accommodations, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, I, leasing seems, you know, more permanent than renting. Granted, we know it's not permanent, but renting just seems really short term and really ticky tack. Um, so I, I prefer the term leasing. Right. And it, no, but it's important because there's power in, in language, right? Like that's right. The right words mean different things it sends out different messages it triggers different emotions and moods and so that's important that's, that's good you think you think about think about a car right? right when when you say i'm renting a car versus leasing a car what comes to mind yeah i gotta bring it back by the end of the week right that's a rental yeah right but what happens if you're leasing it i got it for as long as i want to lease it for you got you got to take care of it right yeah yeah right there's some pride there right that's right 
So, you know, I, I think that that's important, um, you know, because just because you're renting today doesn't mean you won't own tomorrow. And so I think that, you know, you shouldn't, you know, crush a person because they're renting. I think that it's important that there is respect in everything that you do. And so, I, I, again, I much rather the term leasing than renting. Right. Now, before I move on to my next point, I want to ask quickly, Airbnb, that mm-hmm. industry, is that impact like the retail uh the the realtor industry at all like as far as in a positive sense or a negative so in toronto they banned the airbnbs in the in the um in the in the condo units uh early last year um and that resulted in uh um just an influx of units coming onto the market for rentals which is both good and bad so obviously as an agent you have people um you know there's more um uh, you know, a stock available for people to rent, but it's also bad for the clients because when you have an overabundance of supply, then they're not going to get back true value for their property because there's too many op- There's a lot of options uh, for, for individuals to choose from. So that drives the rates down. So that's how that affected um, the units. Um, in Peel, however, um, it, it didn't, it didn't work out that way. Um, you know, rental demand is still very high and landlords are still able to get, you know, the, the price that they're seeking for their property. Okay. Okay. Now, how long do you normally work with, let's say a buyer in relation to a seller before you come to a closing? It's, it, it, it's typically takes a, a longer time, uh, with a buyer. Um, if we're talking about, and we have to keep in mind that we're right in the midst of just a boon right now in real estate. And so there's a lot of things happening that don't typically happen. And that has changed the landscape. So, you know, working with a buyer today could be over tomorrow if you have deep pockets, if your budget is significantly higher. So if you have a million dollar budget, but you're looking at homes about $800,000, $850,000, then we won't be working together very long because you'll be able to be what we call a bully and you'll be able to bully your way into purchasing a property pretty soon because most of the other people who have a budget around that eight eight fifty is not going to be able to keep up with your million-dollar budget. So you should be able to outbid anyone and win. Right. However, for the individuals that have that budget around that eight eight fifty nine hundred, then you and I could be working together for – couple of months as we try to find a property because at this point in time, almost every property available locally, at least, you know, there are multiple offers being registered, 20, 25 offers being registered. And so it becomes extremely competitive and sometimes you're not able to hang with the bullies. So how do you now, let's say I'm the person with that budget issue, right? Mm -hmm. How do you as an agent now, how are you going to help me? get the right home like what, what are some things that you've done in the past that's worked that you know you have successful clients that are like okay thanks Kirk for doing this because I see that you post some of those but I'm trying to figure out how what are some of the detailed things that you've done to help them achieve or acquire those homes so this the, the, my initial statement stays true no matter what if you are the bully you will be successful so if your 850000 budget puts you middle of the pack or lower in Peel, get out of Peel. Uh, now you're the bully. Got it. Right? Got it. So 
you know, that's typically the decision that a buyer has to make because, you know, after losing, let's say your third or your fourth potentially um, offer presentation, you start to become dejected because now you start to realize that everything that you like, that you are in that, you're in that gravy spot, right? 850, anywhere between eight, 900, you're in that gravy spot where a lot of people are playing. A lot of people want to be in that area. And so there's a ton of competition in that area. So you can continue to beat your head against the wall and hopefully one day you'll end up winning out, right? Or you can take your budget to an area where you are clearly going to be one of the bigger players. Right. So for those of you listening who are sports fanatic, I'm going to break it down for you like this. Let's say you attend a high school or a college and you thought you were going to be the man, but you ain't the man. You you know, Mm -hmm. you're the second string or whatever. What you can do if you know you're good enough is relocate, go to a different school where you become the man. That's right. Right. So that's exactly what he's talking about. You got to leave where you are the small dog and go and play in the sandbox where you become the big dog. And when you're the big dog, you set the rules. All right. So keep that in mind. That's what he's talking about. Now, once you found a house, um, what is a comparative market analysis? So a, a, a CMA uh, or a comparative market analysis is typically used for a seller. Uh-huh. Right? Not for not for a buyer. And, and now you can use it for a buyer as well, um, you know, by giving them an idea as to what the property that they're looking at um, it, it should cost. Because just, you know, the listed cost isn't necessarily the right cost, whether it be that it's overpriced or whether it's underpriced for the purposes of generating a bidding war, you know, the client often wants to know, what should I offer for this property? So you could do a CMA to say, based on this, this is what you should offer. So a CMA basically takes um, a look at all recent comparables, and you could do whether it be three months, six months, or a year, uh, but typically you would like to stay six months or, or, or less, um, and you... Uh, pull up the very basic specifics about the subject property, same amount of bedrooms, detached home, so forth, so on. And you say these comparable properties have sold for X amount. You can average it out and say, so your property, you know, should cost about this. Now there are different factors, you know, taking into consideration finishings, upgrades, whether something has a finished basement, doesn't have a finished basement. You know, there are other things that will either add or decrease uh, the value of the potential, the property that they're looking at, but it should be, you have a starting point at least uh, to, to go up or down. Right. Right. And of course, for a seller, if I had um, a listing appointment where I was coming to be interviewed by you uh, to see whether or not I am the right person to sell your home, I would bring a CMA with me to do the exact same thing to suggest what the best pricing strategy would be for your home. Okay, so you do that without even me asking. You're just being proactive. Absolutely. Oh wow. Okay. Okay. Now, because when I because ahead. you need to have justification as to why I am recommending a certain price. Right. Right. That makes sense. Okay. I like that. I like that. Okay. You're taking the initiative, and that makes me feel better as a client already. So now I'm new. Remember, I'm new to this. We found a house and so forth. What are some things I should be worried of? Because the only thing I've been thinking about, to be honest, until this moment is my down payment. What are some things that new home buyers 
haven't considered that often throws them for a loop or, you know, might become a bit of a, a bump in the road. Yeah, no problem. And and that you're right. That is something that typically um, you know is not talked about or is not well known um, for 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 most people. But typically, what you're looking at is about two to five percent um, is what you should average for your closing costs uh, for a property that you're purchasing. And typically, what is involved within that is you know again um, you have your land transfer tax, uh, lawyer fees. Uh, title insurance. Uh, if you um, did not put down 20% or more, then there's also mortgage insurance that you also have to factor in as well. And then, you know, there are some other things that you have to think about as well. So home inspection that you'd pay for um, and uh, appraisal fees. So those are all um, additional expenses that when you're looking to purchase for the first time, you know, you might be surprised to know that those are all extra. Wow. Yeah, that's a blind side if you're not prepared, right? So correct. If the if the down payment is, I don't know, let's I'm gonna use a random number here because I'm not sure, but if the down payment was supposed to be sixty thousand dollars for a property that you're going after, you need to have additional what is it, two percent? Two to five percent for closing costs. Yes. Okay. Two to five percent, right? So that of, of the of the purchase price, yeah. Right of the purchase price. So yeah. if it's two hundred thousand dollars, you do the math, you figure out what two percent is, and did I just say two hundred thousand dollars? That's like nineteen eighty. <laughs> in the market and you'll be like Derek just told me a lie you're damn right I did (laughs) (laughs) anyway you know the reality is it's way more than that so obviously just do your math um, but consider that I think that's important for people to know because I didn't even know that um, you know initially until something said just find out what are the hidden costs and that's when you know that conversation came up in the early stages with the agent that we ended up going with way back when but um, I think it's important, and thank you for sharing that. Now, <clears throat> is there anything else that we need to be aware of for new home buyers or even potential sellers or renters? Um, anything that we haven't discussed? A tip, maybe, um, for each one of those individuals that's listening? Um, not personally a tip, but right now, just based on um, the status of the market, is you have to be prepared, um, and you have to be willing and ready to uh to, to to make that deal um you know we, it, it, at the, it's it's challenging right now to be able to walk into a home and hum and haw um understanding that you know an offer presentation may be coming up um you know and 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 still not being able to commit yourself to to this particular property you like it but for whatever reason you you want to go ahead and you want to see more and there's nothing wrong with that it's 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 completely well within your right but you need to be able to assess your situation and where your strength is right and so if we're looking at a situation where we're looking at a house at for 800,000 and your budget is 950 and you really like it you do you walked in you've seen it and you know you really like it maybe you're not over you know you're, you're you're not head over heels in love with the house but you you know there's really a strong affinity for the property um 
you are in a very powerful position and a very strong position to be able to walk away with this house. You need to understand that because if you walk away from this house and get back into competition closer to your budget, then you might be looking a lot longer than you originally anticipated. Mm-hmm. And you want to just simply be able to get into the market. Right. Right. Because the house prices are going to continue to go up for the foreseeable future. At some point there, I, I definitely do believe there will be uh, a bit of a regression, but for now, for the foreseeable future, the prices will continue to go up. So what costs $800,000 today in three months time might cost 815 or 820. Right. right? So if you have the opportunity to get a prop, get your property today, then my recommendation would be to pull the trigger and be the bully. There we go. Look at that. So what I want to leave folks with is, first of all, thank you um, for being here. And I want to take a full circle because we started off this conversation. We got to know you um, as an individual. And I think that's powerful because what I want to reference is, you know, let people know that change produces results more often than chance. And you just said that in your last you know, statement that if you don't make a change, if you've constant, constantly been the person that's sitting back and waiting for the right opportunity, sometimes the right opportunity is when you take action and create it. You know, So if you got to pull the trigger and make it happen today, today's your day. If you're sitting back and saying tomorrow's your day, then good luck because now it's chance that you're playing with. That's right. Right? So... Um, now, is there anything that you can leave our listeners, young or old, new or seasoned, um, before we wrap things up and how, you know, that can maybe guide them on their journey, um, to become either first time home owners or second or third property owners? If you're, if you're, if you're looking to purchase your first home, the first thing you do need to do is develop that plan. And that plan is definitely, um, again, meeting with that bank or your mortgage specialist or your, your trusted advisor, investor, whomever it might be, to find out what that looks like in terms of a down payment. The down payment is huge with the prices of homes skyrocketing. The amount required for your down payment is going to continue to, to skyrocket. You don't necessarily have to pay the 20% down. You know, I tell people all the time that it's best to, you know, if you're in a situation where you're not able to afford the 20%, don't worry about it, right? It's actually cheaper to pay, if you put down 10%, let's just say for argument's sake, it's actually cheaper to pay the CMHC uh, insurance um, as opposed to coming up with the additional 10%, right? So don't let that freak you out or stop you that you should use that as a being as in a position of power. If the bank is willing to give you the mortgage with your 10% down, go for it and do it. Um, sorry. What was the other question that you would ask? Um, any tips or guide that you can give to anybody that has either, um, owned a property before multiple properties or new getting into it. Just a final. Right. right. And if you are, and if you're, you know, if you currently own a home, then, you know, looking at leveraging the equity in your home would probably be a good idea. Um, you know, oftentimes we like to sit on our property um, and we don't want to necessarily develop any additional debt. But if that property, if you were able to utilize the equity within your home to purchase something else, um, now you've doubled your portfolio. And typically speaking, you have somebody that is 
in there taking care of that debt, that newly acquired debt. So it's not falling uh, at your feet, um, but yet you have doubled in your uh, your portfolio, uh, which in the future you can choose to cash out by selling that property or even furthering your portfolio by pulling equity out of that in a few years and purchasing additional property. So there's, you know, just there, you know, once you're in the market, um, you have a lot of options that's available to you. Um, it's best to make sure that you explore them all. Wow. Now, before we wrap up, I just want to ask one more question. I almost forgot. Are you now as an agent, do you also connect your clients to uh, brokers or lenders and things like that? So they don't have to necessarily do all the legwork if they don't have the resources or the means to ask the right questions. Are you uh, a type of agent that connects them with those resources as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. I have um, a number of trusted agents, uh, mortgage specialists that I do work with um, that have been in the business for a very long time and are very good at what they do. Um, same thing as well. I have uh, um, a couple of lawyers that I work with religiously and very, very closely. Uh, home inspectors, you know, um, you know, from, from step A to step Z, um, if there is a professional required to make sure that your transition, whether it be buying or selling, is smooth and easy, you know, I have uh, individuals uh, that have um, exceptional records at getting the job done. Awesome. So how do I get paid, um, even though I don't do anything in your business? I, I want to you... yeah, make some of your money. Like, how, I mean, you want to become a realtor? No, no, I'm just your friend. I just want to cut. Oh no problem. Well, I, I mean, I, if 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 I if I if I don't have a, a full battery on my phone, then you, then you can make some phone calls for me, and, and I'll give you your cut. You know, you 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 know you you could be my assistant. It's all good. Oh man, uh, I want to thank you. Um, I want to thank our listeners as well for joining us this week. <laughs> on the DAP show. A special thank you to our guest this week, Kirk Jackson. Uh, what I want you to do is again follow Kirk on his social media. That's Instagram at Kirk Jackson Real Estate underscore in between every word. You can also find him on Facebook, Kirk Jackson Real Estate. Uh, his website is obviously the best source where you can get everything directly there. That's Kirk J A X. That's Kirk Jacks.com. Right. So make sure you do that. Have questions, reach out. Don't hesitate. He's the guy that you definitely want to connect with. He's going to give you all the information that you need and he'll take care of you. You're not going to be a customer. Right. If you remember, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're not only customers over here, we're going to be clients. So that's what we want to work on. Right. And if you want to be a customer, that's fine. You can be a customer, but eventually you're going to become a client. That's just the kind of person he is. Um, again, if you found value in this episode, please, we appreciate your review, your comments, your likes and all of that stuff. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss another episode. Uh, I want to take this opportunity to thank you once more time. One more time, my brother. I appreciate you taking the time out and spending this, you know, this evening with us and sharing all that wealth of information. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. I appreciate it. Anytime, anytime.